I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Yeah. This is what drives you. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and thank you, as always, for joining me as I talk with today's most influential changemakers to uncover what truly drives them and extract the big takeaways from their insights so you can integrate that wisdom and leverage the power of your unique inner drive and wake up every day to your authentic, driven, and inspired life. Here in America, we're massively overfed and often undernourished. I think likewise, we're in this age of dramatic over-communication and under-connection. And here lies the opportunity. This is the superpower to evolve past mere communication and get to connection. And this is where the magic happens. If you can connect, you can influence. And you're about to learn that you, in fact, me too, don't really know how to connect, or at least we can do it better and more consistently and frequently. So my expert for the series is Charles Duhigg, and I got to know Charles intimately on a beach in Florida nearly a decade ago. And he wasn't there. I was on a getaway with my wife, and I was devouring, for those of you watching the video, this book, The Power of Habit. Uh, this thing is tattered. It probably still has sand in it. I have marked it up. Still my favorite resource, period, on habits. So when I got contacted by an agency about having Charles on the show and that the focus was communication, I said, schedule it, period, immediately. I don't need to see a thing. Uh, and of course, Charles delivered, and you're about to hear how to do what few people do well, and you can make the change immediately, and that's how to connect. So uh, if you don't know Charles, you're one of the few who don't. He's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, the author of Power of Habit, which spent over three years on the bestseller list and has been translated into 40 languages. Uh, Smarter, Faster, Better, another bestseller. And now again, this new book is Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret language of connection. Charles also writes for the New Yorker magazine. He's a graduate of Yale uh, and Harvard Business School. He's been a frequent contributor on CNBC and This American Life, and NPR and, P uh, NPR and PBS, and, and so many more. And the bio says, Charles, uh, that you were also, and I pull this out. We just talked about cycling before the show here. You were also for one terrifying day in 1999, a bike messenger in San Francisco and coming from, yes. I probably normally bypass something like that but with my cycling <laughs> background. Yeah. I got to know, uh, I got to know about that. Um, tell, tell me what happened. I was, I was the worst bike messenger on earth. I like, I was so bad at it. I had my own bike in a messenger bag and I was like, oh man, I got this covered. And so I was living in Oakland and, and needed a job. And so I got a job as a bike messenger 
And the first day, and I did not know San Francisco at all. And as you know, San Francisco is crazy hilly. Oh, and so God. the first day they give me like a couple of pickups. And one of them is at the top of this huge hill, which of course I could have gotten to without going up the hill, but I didn't know that. Mm. And, and as I'm pedaling up this hill, I'm like, oh man, this must be something they do like with rookies on the first day. They're yeah. going to be up there, like ready to applaud me and give me a beer. Of course, I got up there, picked up the package, and then they called and they were like, what's taking you so long? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not cut out for this, man. <laughs> that is excellent. Well, it's funny. I, wanna, I love the show. Back when I was you know, cycling full time and uh, Quicksilver with Kevin Bacon about him being a bike messenger. Yeah. It's this yeah. freedom. And so I've always thought that sounds cool, but I get that. That could be a little humbling. <laughs> um, man, so again, so honored. I have had this, this, this book actually sits above, uh, on my book of literally, these are, these are teaching books. These are classics. Oh, for thank me. you. So really when this came across and I'm, I, I, I can't wait to talk about this. I mean, you know, my book is on drive, what drives yeah. And it's really, I mean, at the heart of it, I want people to get to and clarify their values. Okay. When I read your book, this, this new book, super communicators, it looks like, okay, it's super communicators, but the effort is to help people actually authentically finally connect. I yes. assume that's your heart at the bottom. That's exactly right. That's, and thank you for your kind words on power of habit. That's, yeah. I'm just, it, you know, you sit like for like, as you know, you yeah. sit there for like three years writing something and you're like, I wonder if anyone's actually going to read it. So, so when, it, when you find from, when you hear from people that like, they appreciate it, it's just so meaningful. I, I mean, again, here um, it is. It's marked up. <laughs> I remember being on the beach. I'm supposed to be having this good time with my wife. I'm just I was going to say your wife, your wife might not have been too happy that you're ignoring you this and, and getting a suntan and I was over there getting an education. But. Ex excellent. Yeah. So the, so the, the thing that for me really made trying to learn about how conversations work really compelling was a couple of experiences I had, but undergirding them was this, and, and I, and I can talk about those, but undergirding them was this basic kind of feeling I had, which is we as a nation and as a people have always been really good at conversations, right? America was born out of conversations, hard conversations. That's what the constitutional convention was. And when you look at why humans of us as a species have succeeded so well, it's because of our ability to communicate. That's what mm -hmm. distinguishes us from other species. And, and yet at the same time, and I imagine you've been feeling this too, it feels like over the last decade, we've just forgotten how to do this, right? We've stopped having hard conversations with people who have, who feel differently than we do because it just feels so like high stakes and scary. So we only talk to people who, who, who agree with us and that's not great. And, and even when we're doing that, we tend not to have those deep conversations, right? The more that we can communicate online, the more that we can access almost anyone, the less it felt to me like we were having these really yeah. important conversations. And, and like those conversations are why I fell in love with my wife, right? I remember in college, like those conversations that last all night where you feel like you've learned something about yourself. Those are really, really meaningful. And, and so I wanted to understand, like, what do we know about the science of how they work? And most importantly, how can we get better at them? Because there are some people who you can see know how to do this so well. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what you know, I think we look at it kind of like a, gosh, again, to, to use my book as an example, one of the myths I talk about is this idea that some people have drive and some people don't. And I don't, I don't, I don't find that um, right. everybody, you know, has drive. But this aspect of 
yeah, connecting, we think, oh, some people have that ability and some don't. They've got the gift of, actually, you get, your book got me thinking about the gift of gab. And I thought, gift of gab means somebody who just talks a lot. That doesn't mean yeah. anything. You know, right. they just talk, <laughs> right. they listen to themselves talk, uh, <laughs> even if nobody else is uh, having fun. But is that, yeah, connecting seems to be like this myth that some people have that art and some people don't. And that's why I love yours. The researcher going, well, no, you can, I mean, maybe some people, they were exposed to it. I think I was Charles. I think that yeah. I saw that my parents, you know, my dad was in sales and gosh, I grew up going to Dale Carnegie classes and, you know, how to win friends and influence people. And it was to pay attention. So I was kind of taught that but that's super rare. And most of us just communicate and yeah, you've got me thinking about that. We're in this age of communication, but we're just communicating. We're, we're just, uh, I mean, a, a computer can, commu I mean, a, a robot can communicate, yeah. but they and can't it, connect and they can't connect and they can't have conversations the same way humans can. And you're yeah. exactly right. You know, what's interesting is that the name of the book is super communicators. And I think when people come to it, sometimes they think, well, there must be this special group that are super communicators, but mm -hmm. actually what the research tells us is all of us are super communicators. All of us at times have known exactly what to say to a friend to make them feel better or have known exactly what to, how to go into a meeting and communicate our ideas so everyone agrees with us. We are all at times super communicators. We all know how to connect on an intuitive level, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get in our own way. Sometimes we don't understand how the situation has changed a little bit and how we have to adapt to that. And so what the book is about is it's about a set of skills that allow our super communication instincts to come out, that tell us how to recognize what kind of conversation is occurring yeah. and to accommodate that because that's what helps us connect with other people. And that's, I mean, I hear you. And again, I'm studying the book, so I get it. But I'm thinking, man, it's so... I mean, you got to be on your, you got to, you got to be aware. Obviously you got to be aware because we so often go into conversations and I've done it in the past. I've done it with intent, you know, or I've kind of had some thoughts in mind and you go in and you're like a deer in the headlights Absolutely. And in the conversation, you forget everything. You walk away and go, oh my gosh, I did not remember what did anything. I, or you're focused on what you want to say, right? Totally. Rather than whether the other person is listening, listening to them. So I think you're right. It can feel kind of overwhelming, yeah. but the nice thing is there's actually some very simple ways to do this. The first, and, and this is an example I that kind of like was the genesis of the book, is that I, this thing would happen to me where I came home, and I'm assuming this probably happens to you and everyone is listening also. I would come home after like a tough day, and I would start complaining to my wife. And I'd tell her like, my boss is a jerk, and my colleagues don't appreciate me. And, and she would give me this very practical advice. She'd say something right. like, look, why don't you take your boss out to lunch and get to know each other a little bit better? And instead of hearing her good advice, I would just get more upset. I'd be like, why aren't you supporting me? I want you to be outraged on my behalf. Like, you know, you're, <laughs> you're taking his side. And, and when I went to researchers and asked them why this was happening, what they said is, look, the first thing you have to realize is we think of a discussion as one thing, but every discussion is filled with multiple conversations. Yeah. And most of those conversations fit into one of three buckets. There's usually conversations that are about practical things, right? Like how to make plans, how to make decisions. There's emotional conversations where the goal is not to make a plan, it's to, or solve a problem, it's to share how we feel. And then there's social conversations, which are conversations about how we see other people and they see us and how our identities influence our choices. And they said, look, when you went and talked to your wife, you were having an emotional conversation. You were in an emotional mindset. 
And she responded to you with very good practical advice. She started having a practical conversation. And both of those are fine, but because you were having different kinds of conversations at the same time, neither of you were able to hear each other. Neither of you were able to hear what the other person wanted. And so the first step in just becoming better at communication is just taking a moment to ask yourself, like, what kind of conversation is happening here? Like, does it seem like we're solving a problem together? Does it seem like this person's emotional? Does it seem like we're talking about social issues? And then just meeting the other person where they're at and inviting them to match you. This is actually known as the matching principle within psychology. What it says is that to connect in a conversation, we have to have the same kind of conversation at the same time. It's interesting. You've got me thinking, I hadn't thought about this before, like a self-driving car, which I've never been in. I can't imagine, but you know, imagine if I had that and I get in and I just pushed, just drive, just drive, just go. Right. You're like, oh my God, I would never do that. I get in and you have to put, okay, here's the address, whatever. And that's what you've got me thinking of with this. And you say this in the book that in essence, if I could just stop myself and say, what is the goal of this conversation? Absolutely. And if, and if it's simply to say, hey guys, is the dishwasher, are these clean or dirty? Okay. I don't need to think much about that. I mean, what's my goal? It's to know if they're clean or dirty in a story. So that's fine. And, and, and that may make up you know, however much, maybe, you know, whatever percentage of the conversation during the day is going to be, is going to tend to be that. But then the other ones where you're coming to a, you know, a kid about an issue, or like you said, a wife or business partner or a customer or whatever to go, okay, what is my goal? The thing on that one, Charles, we just did recently a series and it's overlapped a lot and some others on emotional intelligence. Yeah. Because at some point when I'm reading your book, I'm going, man, I'm just getting up to speed on even knowing, being able to articulate what is my goal? Well, my goal is to just get something across. And I think if you're my therapist, you go, no, I think you want something more, Kevin. Go, <laughs> okay, what, what is it? What is it I'm wanting to be? And then we're into that, that, that aspect. So I think from my own standpoint, which is why we're sitting here talking about it, I'm realizing, gosh, to do this well, I really need to get better uh, understanding of what, what am I? trying to communicate. What, what are you I, trying? What, why yeah. are you, why are you opening your mouth? And, they, I, and there's some really interesting research about that. Like there was, um, there was a study that was done where some researchers went into a, in an investment bank. And this was like a bank where like people like fought for deals and bonuses. They were at each other's throats all day long. And they told everyone before each meeting, before you come into the meeting, we just want you to write down one sentence just for yourself, write down what you hope to accomplish in this meeting and what yeah. kind of tone you hope to establish your mood. And so people would write down things like, like, uh, you know, I want to, I want to finalize the budget, but I don't want anyone to feel like left out or even with conversations with friends, they'd be like, I want to ask Maria if she wants to come on vacation with me, but I want to make it easier for her to say no. And they found that if people wrote down that sentence, it literally took 10 seconds. If people wrote down that sentence, the incidence of conflict went down 80%. And there, it's not because people agreed with each other more. It's not because they stopped competing. It's because once you know what you want, it's a lot easier to figure out how to shape a conversation. And if the other people you're talking to know what you want, and if they know what they want, then you guys know why you're there, right? Rather than like all these experiments like, hey, are you interested in this? And what do you think about that? And I, I'm upset at work and you've got good advice. If we both know why we're there, it's going to make it easier to hear each other. The, the intent. I, yes. I mean, I love that. What is the intent? Because I think, and it, you know, again, you got to, 
for anybody who's had a serious relationship, especially like a marriage, I mean, this is where it comes up because, you know, how many times does that conversation start and you're like, there's okay. a lot of play here. There's, yeah. a, lot <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot going on underneath I'm the surface. Not sure which place to step. Yeah, totally. And, you know, again, it, yeah, in a high, high stakes, you know, uh, business environment, same thing. Okay. I got a hundred questions. One of them okay. is, you know, as you talked about, like coming in with an emotional, you know, yeah. you know, aspect after, after work and your wife gives a practical, are we going to by personality style or, or however you define it, you tell me, are we going to tend to be someone who's generally going to come out of the same box, the same category? Like Kevin, by far and large, is is there to talk about. Well, I was going to say practicality, but you put it into um uh, the first the first um. All right, what is this really about? Decision making mindset. Yeah. That as I read that, I thought, I think that I pretty much primarily come out of a decision-making mindset, whereas my wife, to be frank, is going to come out of an emotional mindset. It's just kind of who we are. Is that fair? So I think what, what's happening here is that very often we see ourselves a specific way and we channel our conversation and communication through that lens. So because you think of yourself as a practical decision-making guy, when you're talking to your wife, even if you're feeling emotional, and you're not totally aware that you're feeling emotional, you're going to try and jam those emotions into a decision-making kind of perspective, right? You're going to be like, look, we got to decide like where we're going for, for like, you know, Thanksgiving. Are we going to my mom's place or your mom's place? We got to decide it right now. Whereas what might actually be driving you is that you don't like to go to her mom's place or you mm -hmm. don't like to go to your mom's place. There's a little bit of emotions there, but you're much more comfortable with a decision-making approach. Whereas she actually might be in a place where she just wants to make a decision, but because she's more comfortable posing things in an emotional frame, she comes to you with what sounds like emotions. And so here's a way to kind of sidestep this, right? Sidestep our habits, our communication habits. When you're talking to someone and you're not exactly certain where they're coming from or what's going on underneath, it's really easy to ask them, okay, look, do you want me to, do you want me to help you? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to hear you? Or do you want me to hug you? Mm -hmm. And those are the three different kinds of conversations. Cause if I say, do you want me to help you? Then what I'm asking is, is this a problem that we can solve? Right? Do you want me to hear you means you're feeling emotional and you just want me to hear what's going on with you. I want to hear your frustrations. And do you want me to hug you is like a social conversation. Like we're all coming together to figure out how we solve this as a group. And simply by asking that, oftentimes what happens is that people say, it's a way of getting people to figure out their own motivations, their yeah. own drive. Because oftentimes they'll say something like, look, I don't, I don't need you to solve this problem. I don't, I don't need you to help me. Like, I just need you to listen to the fact that like, I feel like we need to make a decision and then they know like, okay, I don't have to solve the problem. I don't, I don't have to get practical. He might be talking practical, but what's actually going on is that he just wants me to hear how he feels. So if I am looking at a, I'll call it a healthy, efficient conversation. If I come into it with my decision making structure, but in truth, I'm trying to relay some emotions in there. First off, I'm probably, I'm asking, I'm probably making it more complicated. So I'm muddy in the waters right to get to, to begin with, which if I would go back, not back, if I would stop again, back to the awareness and go, okay, Kevin, 
what are you, what are you trying to do? And you're, it's, I'm really, I'm frustrated. I really don't want like, you know, I don't really want to go do that thing. Just, and you would say, just communicate that. Yes. Communicate that. Recognize that like you actually want to have an emotional conversation. And by the way, you're exactly right. Men tend to like very easily habitually fall into that practical decision-making yeah. mindset and women with more frequency fall into the emotional, emotional approach. But that doesn't mean that we have different levels of emotions or practical decision-making needs. It just means what we're comfortable with. And honestly, if you, if you can take the second to say, to ask yourself a question and say like, actually, what do I want out of this? Why am I having this conversation? You're going to know that like, I don't want my wife to like, we don't need to make a decision right now. I just want to tell her like, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that we might go to your mom's. And I've told you before, I don't like going to your mom's or like, if we go to your mom's, it's going to be like a nightmare because we've got to get a hotel and it's going to be expensive. Once you know yourself a little bit better, you know how to communicate better. And oftentimes it's the other person asking us a question or us asking them a question that lets us figure out what's really going on underneath. Okay. I want to come to that though. I do want to point out that you just, you just, um, you just unearthed me right there, Charles. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> thinking, I, I think that's what I do. I think that's what I do is I take a decision aspect and I'll shove my emotions in and around it and probably try to force, for some reason I'm thinking I probably, I'm probably trying to force things and I'm not being, I'm not being honest with myself. And again, I'm not so in all grace, you know, but uh, not being honest with myself to begin with. And no wonder it gets confused out here because it leaves Absolutely. somebody going, what the heck is he trying to do? And by the way, that's totally natural. Like you shouldn't beat up on yourself for doing right. that. And and my guess is that your wife is very, very talented. Okay. I say this because mine is at asking you the question that helps you realize what's really going on. Right. Like saying something like, honey, we can go wherever you want, but can you tell me why? Why going to my mom seems to seems yeah. to bug you so much. And then they've invited like like she recognizes that you this is actually an emotional conversation. She invites you to be emotional with her without saying like why are you a blubbering ball of emotions? And and by inviting you to be to match her, to be emotional with her, suddenly it becomes safe and easy to do so. And yeah. and you know and you know how to communicate with her. And you probably do the same thing for her all the time, right? She comes to you with something. You don't understand what the hell's going on. And then you ask her a question and it's clear what's actually being talked about. I, well, I think so. But I mean, your book is kind of opening the kimono here. Because <laughs> I usually know, I mean, we know that as guys. Okay. So, you know, your wife comes along and this is being so stereotyping, but for the sake of the point, you know, and shares something, whatever. And I know, okay, don't just jump to fix you know, whatever, but I'm still concerned about how intelligent I'm being with this. Okay. I want to come in because you, t- you mentioned questions and that's such a big part of it. I'm going to back into it by saying or stating, citing that I think in your book, you said generally, and this is probably a big cross section, but generally as we all go throughout the day, assuming that we are, you know, leaving the house and going to a place of work or school or whatever, that 70% of our conversations are in are kind of a, a, a social group or you or like you said the the social mindset yeah is that, is that that's right? exactly right that's exactly right and most okay. of the conversations that we have are actually about either other people or how we relate to other people right so so if you think about it like a lot of the conversations you have with your wife are probably about how you feel or how she feels or things you guys got to figure out 
But then there's lots of questions, conversations I'm sure about your kids. Mm-hmm. And that's a social conversation because one of the things you're talking about in that conversation is how does my kid see themselves? How do mm-hmm. I see my kid? How does my kid see me? And how does that shape how I should interact with them? Those are, those are, can be complicated conversations and subtle conversations, but they're obviously really important. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are, and in some places it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier, and Air Doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, 
but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Those are can be complicated conversations and subtle conversations, but they're obviously really important. So uh, those are huge. I mean, that, I've got a good friend. He's really good about, cause he, he uh, is often seeing a therapist talking about some issues with kids. He's got some hard things going on and how often the therapist will come back and go, okay, this, this is whatever, what you dealt with with the kid. I wasn't about them. Right. I was about you. Wasn't it? Yeah. And, and how, yeah, even the, our own association with ourselves in regards, okay, okay, we're getting really acute there. I want to come back to this, the aspect of questions though. And I want to put it in a group setting. So like this morning okay. I walked in here to my office, uh, somebody, it was a, a birthday. And so we were in the little you know kitchen area and there's, I don't know, six, seven of us and sing happy birthday and, and whatnot. Now in there, you're talking about, there's often different conversation styles and we got the one person who talks nonstop, the other person who does and whatever. And you talk about the, Effect. I'll, I'll have you uh, describe this. The effectiveness of that. You call it a high centrality participant, and I love this quote or this research that you put in there. That that person. I want you to tell us, describe who that is or how they are. But these, you said they are they are ten to twenty times uh, more likely or to ask ten to t- ten to twenty times more questions. Yeah. And that one, I, again, thank goodness for the exposure I got from my parents and whatnot. And I was taught to look at that and to stand back and to realize how often these conversations are going around and nobody ever asks a question. It's crazy, isn't it? And it, it, it is. So, so these high centrality participants, that's what scientists call them. But these are, these are super communicators, right? These are people who are really good at being super communicators. They do it consistently. And you're exactly right. They tend to ask 10 to 20 times more questions than other people. But what's interesting is you don't notice half the time when they're asking a question because the questions are things like, Oh man, what do you think about that? Or like, what'd you, do, what'd you do last night? Or, Hey, what, did, did you have any thoughts on that? Or what do you think is going to happen next? There are these little questions that just pop up and kind of infiltrate, infiltrate the conversation, but invite other people in. And there's actually a good way to identify the super communicators that you know, which is just, and everyone in the audience can do this. Think for a second, if you've had a really, really bad day, who you would call that you know would make you feel better, right? Mm-hmm. There's like probably one person that like, you know, that like, like they just, they just make you feel better afterwards. And now I'm going to take you, th- do you have that person in your mind? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me ask you, who is it? Uh, Randy. Yeah, okay. My, my good friend. I, I, I want to insert though. I don't know that he is that person to many people. He just oh, that's happened fine. to, to that's me. Fine. That's, okay. that's, that's okay. That's okay. Cause he's a super communicator with you mm-hmm. and he could probably be a super communicator with everyone if he totally understood what's going on, but let's just talk about you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me ask you, I'm going to ask you some questions. Is Randy the funniest guy you know? Like, does he tell way more jokes? No, nope. no. Is he? Um, is he like? Is he like the smartest guy you know? Like, if you had like a pr- like a math problem to solve, would you definitely go to Randy and ask him to solve it for you? Maybe, but that's not why he's who. Right, he's, right. So, what does Randy do that makes you feel better? Why would you call Randy? 
he listens with honest interest. He really, I mean, that's why I, I get, I know, I, well, I'm going to say I know, but he does a good job making me feel like he cares. And to what you talk about, he relates um, and is, and is equally vulnerable. And again, I don't think he, this is an interesting thing you've got me thinking of that, you know, we're trying to be that, but we may be it for some people and not others based yeah. on the level of investment. Is that fair even? Yeah. Or, or, or just level of comfort or like the habits comfort, of maybe, okay. some friends and not with others. Yeah. You're ex- if I was to watch you and Randy talking, my guess is what I would see. And you're probably a super communicator for Randy too. He'd probably mm-hmm. call you when he's having, my guess is that what I would see is a couple things. First of all, you guys are asking each other tons of questions yep. sometimes without even realizing it. Maybe you're just making a statement and kind of like lilting your voice up at the end to show the other person you're asking them this thing yeah. rather than telling them. Sure. My guess is that when one of you says something kind of vulnerable, the other person responds with vulnerability. So you're engaged in emotional reciprocity, which is one of the key components of emotional intelligence. Well, I, I can watch him. I, 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 it's interesting, Charles, because we've been friends. Um, we office together. We do life together. We're doing it for so long that sometimes I'll find myself it sounds weird. You'll, you'll get it though. Well, I find it myself appreciating and watching us yeah. talk and, and to realize I'm saying this and I can see him. I can see that what I said doesn't set well with him, but he's not just going to come out with it. He's going to think, right. be respectful and, 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 and care. Uh, and he's going to find the way to tell you what he's thinking rather than just reacting, right? Rather yes. than... And so what's interesting is the thing that you're doing with Randy and that Randy is doing with you, you guys could do that with anyone. Mm -hmm. It's actually just basically kind of a mindset is that you have that capacity and there's nothing magical about Randy and your conversations with him. What's magical is the attitude that you bring into it and the level of attention that you bring into it. And you could have, and I'm sure that you have those same kinds of conversations with your wife, with your kids. My guess is you sometimes have it with podcast guests that you've just met or strangers mm-hmm. that you meet on the bus. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And it can feel like this like total mystery about why. But the answer is it's just a set of skills. Like it's literally a set of skills that you learned growing up and that Randy learned and that you guys choose to use as skills with each other. But you can use those skills with anyone. And in fact, what studies show is it's way easier to do it than we think it is. Okay. I, I, I hear you. I haven't though. I mean, I have to a degree, you know, again, how to win friends and influence people. And I've learned yeah. how to do, to do that. But as far as me really connecting, me really feel, I can do that, Charles, but not feel connected, even if other people do. And I'm not, but I know I'm just, I'm kind of just being nice and whatnot, or, you know, trying to relate. But, but I haven't, I think in my, what I'm feeling from you, I'm thinking if I become aware of this, I can better tune in to how somebody else is being absolutely and connect in a meaningful way instead of, I think I'm quick to go and go, ah, this isn't my kind of person. We're not going to connect and I'm just not going to make the effort. And my guess is that there are t- like when we connect with someone, it doesn't necessarily mean we will like want to marry them, right? <laughs> like sometimes a connection is literally just having a good conversation on a bus. But my guess is that there are times that you bump into someone and and you're at this place where you could connect. And by the way, you don't have to. You, no one is obligated to have a conversation they don't want to have. Sometimes we're on the bus and we just want to read our book or we just want right. to zone out. But when we are in a situation where we're having a conversation or we want to connect, if we 
if we just understand what's going on a little bit more, then that connection not only becomes possible, it actually becomes easier than not connecting. Like think about when you're on on that bus and you're having a conversation with someone and you're not connecting with them. That's work, man. Like you're mm-hmm. trying to think like, what, like I can't let the conversation just peter out. Like I got to come up with something else to ask or like, or if you're doing a podcast and like the other person isn't playing along, you're working hard. You're coming away from the podcast sweaty. You've like put in the hours. Whereas when you connect, it yeah. feels easy. Actually, our brains are hardwired to make it feel easy. Well, okay, that that gets into, yeah, neurological synchronization is what you said, the alignment yeah. of our brains and bodies. And when I, again, I love this from a research aspect, as opposed to, it's kind of how I did the intro that, that, you know, even if we're, even if we feel like we can connect with people, this can enable us to do it more consistently, more frequently. I was gonna say methodically, that doesn't sound like a good word, but I want to do that. I want to be yeah. able to understand and be able to do it as opposed to, I think I've done it and it's been kind of just happenstance. You know, if it's the right person that I synchronize with, which you know, but how can I help that happen? Absolutely. Yeah. You can make that happen. So, so let's talk about this, this neural, neural entrainment, this neurological synchronization. So if, if right now we're having a conversation, if I could measure all these things, what I would see is that you and me, even though we're doing this over the internet, we're separated by a huge distance. You and me, our pupils have started dilating at the same rate. The the electrical impulses along our skin have begun to match each other. Our heart rates have begun matching each other, even though we're separated by distance. And most importantly, and the reason this is happening is because in our brains, our brain waves are starting to synchronize. That's what communication is. Communication is me describing an idea or an emotion and you experiencing that idea or emotion because you're having a similar neurological experience yeah. to the one I'm describing. That's how okay. we connect. Okay. The epiphany I I've literally, I mean, I've been doing this a long time, Charles. It hasn't always been as enjoyable as it is today. And I've told people that, so we talked about cycling. So when I got on a mountain bike and I hit the trail, I mean, pretty quick, man, I am, I am in flow, the definition yeah. of flow, man, I'm just, I'm just in it in all truth. And this has been, I've been aware of this for a year maybe consciously aware that generally sitting down and doing this right here, I mean, it's, it's a flow state for me. I mean, yeah. it really is. I hadn't conceptualized it around the structure that you're given right now, because back to the thing of being aware and being intentional, we both came here knowing what we're about. We have a topic we have an interest. It's a shared interest right off the bat. We know there's like some automatic, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to say that we're already synchronized, but there's a great propensity for it too. We're both here. This is going to, I mean, this is beneficial for us. It's beneficial for our audiences, for our business. I mean, everything right here, there's every reason to be And real quick. Yeah. I feel like I love this, that we're not sitting together, but I'm, you know, we're, we're across the, you know, a few States away and I can see you and I feel synchronized to your emotions. I can yeah. see it. I can see when you get excited. I can see when I say something and you tune in. I could also see if you're like looking out of the window because you're bored. Right. To death. <laughs> and we're in tune with this. And I just had not thought about how this is because this is an intentional conversation. Why don't I, at least with a thought for a moment of what's my goal for the conversation as I walk in with my kid, my wife, my friend, my whatever, and give it the opportunity uh, to some degree that we do here. Yeah. And, and I'm going to point out some other stuff that you've done yeah, that, yes. that, that, that's helped with this. So, so I mentioned that, that I would have these conversations with my wife that didn't go so well. 
Yeah. Right. And you, you started sharing stuff about yourself. You started sharing that like sometimes you come home and you try and like solve the problem. I exposed a vulnerability and you were vulnerable in return. And it's almost impossible not to feel closer to someone who recognizes your vulnerability and matches it. And and that doesn't mean you have to like start weeping. That just right. means you have to be like, bro, I know what you're talking about. I've been there before. I know that like marriage can be hard. I have okay when you so in reading that about about that that's a key point is to you talked about that with the high centrality participant that they're um that they're usually going to ask a question and then they will also relate like that they'll share yeah. a story of themselves I I I'm afraid I fall away from that sometimes even in the effort to keep the conversation on the other person. I think I'm doing a good thing. Okay. I'll just keep asking questions and I don't take the effort to relate though. So when you wrote about that being a key attribute, I thought, Ooh, I'm maybe I do it here on the shows, but I think out in life, a lot of times I don't do that. I don't take the time to relate with something like that. And I'm missing out. And that's known as conversational receptiveness. One of the, the, one of the stories in the book is about how NASA looks for astronauts. And so one of the things that happened is that as, as space, space missions became longer, six months, a year up in the space Mm -hmm. station, the psychologists at NASA recognized that what they needed to do is they needed to start peeping, started identifying people who are really good at emotional intelligence, really good at connecting with other people. Now, the problem is if you make it to the final round of interviews for NASA, you are like great at interviewing. You know all the right answers, right? If they ask you like, what's your greatest weakness? You're going to have five fantastic answers. If they ask you like, how are you vulnerable? You're going to have practiced this thing. And so NASA was having real trouble telling the difference between people who are genuinely emotionally intelligent from those who could fake it really, really well. Because the problem is the people who could fake it really well, they could fake it on the ground, but then four months into a space mis- mission, they would stop faking it and everything would fall apart. And wow. so here's what this one guy who was the head psychologist for, for NASA did. He started conducting these tests during interviews. He would ask, he would ask the, uh, an applicant a question about like, you know, what's your greatest weakness or what's the most painful memory you can think of? Mm-hmm. In fact, there's this one dis- situation he described to me. So he, he asked this guy who looked like a perfect candidate, what's your most painful memory? And the guy said, well, my father passed away recently. And he had this great answer. He was like, you know, I've talked to my pastor about it. And we've like talked about all the things that I should have said. And I'm working through the grief. It was the perfect exa- answer. And previously that would have gotten him admitted right away. But this time, this guy, he does something different. He says, you know, it's really hard. I hear that my, my sister passed away um, from cancer, and I think about her all the time. And he kind of talks a little bit about his sister, and then he just stops and watches to see what the applicant does. And the applicant doesn't ask any questions. Mm. And it's at this point that the psychologist realized this guy has practiced showing vulnerability, but he's not actually interested in my vulnerability. Like he doesn't want to participate in this conversation. Compare that to another candidate a couple of weeks later who, when, as soon as this guy mentioned his sister, he was like, oh man, like, how did your mom react to that? Like, do you still think about your sister? Like, what was that like for you? Right. Those seem like really personal, intimate questions. But of course, if, if, if you've had, if you've ever lost someone in your life, you know that like, you love it when people ask you about that person. Right. My dad passed away five years ago. And like the best thing that ever happened afterwards is that some people would say, 
tell me about your dad or what was the funeral like? And you're just so grateful to be able to share something about yourself. So the answer to your question is, I think that all of us can do this really easily simply by recognizing that if we give back what someone's sending to us, we're actually making that conversation better for both of us. Yeah. It's okay. First off, it's really interesting that NASA, I love the example because that's not what you would think of. The NASA, no. okay, just looking for the Mensa Society, MIT totally. grad, right stuff, whatever. And you're saying, no, they want somebody who's uh, not even aware of emotional intelligence, but it literally is if they are going to have long term success in space. That's huge. And I want people to hear that. I don't know when this is going to publish, but we've got, uh, we've got an astronaut coming on the show. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I'll have to, I'll have to hit on this. But the other thing too, and you said it in essence before that there is, I mean, this is not something we may want to do with everyone. This is an opportunity for the times and the people and the groups where we really want to connect, where we really do want to integrate. Because I'm thinking, you know, to be honest, I mean, it's kind of like the you know, having boundaries. I mean, I'm not going to have this conversation with everybody. If you're on the bus, chances are I'm going to just want to read my book or listen. Totally. And that's totally fine. And there's sometimes that you're going to pretend to have a conversation with your kids and you don't actually want to have a conversation. You just want to tell them what to do, right? It's like, that is true. Hey, Jim, do you have any homework? Yes. Let's go do the homework. You're not looking for a conversation there, (laughs) but, but you can't be a jerk. You can't just like barrel in. So you kind of have a faux conversation, but and it's yeah. important it's important to recognize when we want to have conversations and when we don't and to acknowledge that's okay. You can be on the bus and even if someone tries to strike up a conversation with you, if you're not in the mood, that is okay. You that's can so, just read I, your book. I, no, it makes me want to makes me okay, so your three categories. I'm feeling like I need like a we need to put the poster up at my house and here it works. What is this really about? Decision making mindset. How do we feel? Emotional mindset. Who are we? Social mindset. So I can point and say, "Hey guys, um, what is this really about? This is a decision-making mindset. This is what I want done. Right. I'm not, yeah. That'd be, I mean, it's funny, but in essence, that that's what you're talking about. If I could get that self-aware first yeah, and then be aware of others, because this other thing, this is an overlapping thing that you're putting the research to that when we talk about relationships, the point ultimately is to relate. It is that's to relate. Exactly right. And that's what you're bringing to. This is how you can relate as opposed to, what I, again, I often do too. I'm in the conversation. I'm not aware at all. I'm just thinking about myself and I am at best just communicating. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I might as well be Charlie Brown's mom. I'm uh, waiting for my turn to talk. Like totally. now it's your turn. Then it's going to be my turn. Okay. Hit on that though, Charles, because we just talked about the, uh, I got to keep going back up to the high centrality participant, which. Uh, you can call them super communicators. That's that's what we call them. It's, it's only the scientists who call them that. Okay. So everybody, so super communicators in your group that you may be, or somebody else may be, or, or whatever that they are going to come in and hear you. So you come in and blah, 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 whatever they talk about. But like you, you come in and talk about, oh, this is what happened at work or, or, or whatnot. That there is value. We just talked about that, the value of relating with an empathetic story, you know, a way that you can. But I also hear you saying, it's probably, it may not, it's not going to be a boom right away. The minute that they get the last syllable out, you where you go, oh, oh that's happened to me. Right. Right. Separate wait, wait, your, your mom died. Wait, 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 three years ago, my mom, right? Like that's yeah. not, my that's mom not died way worse than yours. Yeah. Exactly. That's not relating. That's like stealing the spotlight onto yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, so the question is, how do we do, like, how do we do this in a way? What, what really matters? And there's a couple of things that the first answer is 
oftentimes relating doesn't mean telling our own story. It means acknowledging the story that the other person told. So, so if you tell a really funny story and I laugh, I'm acknowledging that your story is funny and you and I will feel closer. I don't have to tell a funny story myself, right? It's about me acknowledging what you've said. But the second thing, and this is the most important part, this is what those super communicators do in those groups. This is probably what Randy does for you and you do for him is proving to the person that you're listening to them. Yeah. And oftentimes we don't understand how to prove we're listening. We think that if someone's talking and we're like nodding our head and like being, mm, that they'll pay attention. But the truth is when you're talking, it's actually so hard to pay attention to other people that oftentimes the speaker misses what the audience is doing. Totally. So what the way we, that we prove we're listening is based on what we do after they stop speaking. And there's another story in the book about this, this experiment that was done where they bought, brought all these people together. Half of them were gun rights advocates and half of them were gun control advocates. And they wanted to see if they could have these people have a civil conversation with each other. They did not convince each other, just have a civil conversation. And they taught them this one skill and it's called looping for understanding. What they okay. would say is, okay, when someone, when someone says something, when they answer some question, you, you have to do three things. Number one, Ask them any follow-up questions you have to make sure you understand. Number two, repeat back what they just told you in your own words. Hmm. And number three, and this is the most important one and the thing that people always forget, ask them if you got it right. Hmm. And the reason why this is so powerful is because – and Randy probably does this for you and you do it with for him – is that when we repeat back what someone told us in our own words – they know that we've heard them. And if we got it, and if they say, did I get that right? We can say like, you're close, but you're not exactly right. We feel really listened to. Mm -hmm. That act of listening and proving we are listening, that is how we have the most serious, most important, meaningful conversations. And my guess is when you're talking to Randy, you say something like, you know, this really bummed me out. And he's like, yeah, that would be a real bummer. Like it's, it, my guess is that like, you know, like it was probably a tough day, wasn't it? Wasn't it afterwards? Like he's just proved to you that he heard you and he's asking if he hurt, if what he heard is right. He's making it pretty subtle and he's making it pretty casual. But, the, but as a result, you feel listened to. And there's absolutely. And there's what would you say? Mutual respect enough too, where I've also had, you know, share something and he responds I go, that was not at all what I was talking about. Right. I, just <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I've had it happen to be candid, even in like in couples counseling, you know, where you say, okay, blah, blah, blah. And the counselor says, so, you know, to my wife, what did you hear Kevin say? And she says, well, yeah, he said this. I no, I didn't. That's a, right. It's not remotely, but it, it is. It, it almost makes me think of you know, the training would be to watch somebody. I mean, I could see it happening on a screen and they give this you know, monologue of, of coming in like you did, you know, coming in after they work, blah, blah, blah. And to sit back and it's not to say, what did they say? Like from a memorization, but like, what did you hear? What, what did, was what that's did you hear? Exactly right. Yeah. That's why putting it in your own words is so powerful is because okay. not only are you showing them that you're trying to understand, but you're actually seeing if you understood. Right. Cause half the time, I mean, and we know this from study after study, half the time we say things and we think that we've communicated really well, and the other person genuinely doesn't understand, and it's not their fault. It's because yeah. we do a bad job of explaining what's inside our own head. And then they also, I'm thinking, sometimes you realize somebody just doesn't care. 
They're just yeah. not there. And that's valid too. It's interesting that right at the beginning of your book, you give the premise of, and I didn't write down the whole you know paragraph, but you talked about uh, work and marriage relationships that those I have found because, okay, so I, you know, I've got a wife and I've got Randy. He's my other wife. We, we are business right. partners. <laughs> and, and, and those discussions are so different because of the investment, mm-hmm. because when something is said, it can be threatening. It can, I mean, it weighs on, it's not just a benign uh, uh, conversation with a coworker who may say something to you, that's kind of off the wall, but whatever, you're not, you don't have to go home and sleep with them or share finances right. or parent with them. That this is where it gets really acute. This is the training ground, I guess the acute training ground, but it's relevant everywhere. Cause what I hear you saying overall with this is again, aside from just, I, mean, I would keep using that word benign. There are benign communications. Hey, are the dishes dirty or not? Totally. You know, is yeah. anybody going to eat this apple? Whatever. That's just blatant communication that robot could be programmed to do with each other. Everything else though, I hear you saying for the most part, it's just not benign. Fair. It's often, it, I would say the way I think about it is meaningful yeah. conversations. You're right. Okay. There's lots of conversations we have where like, me and my wife like see each other and we're like, Hey, who's picking up the kids? And she says, I am. And I'm like, cool, go for it. Right. But then like, once you get beyond that, it's a meaningful conversation. And we actually have lots of meaningful conversations every day in all of our lives. Right. And there's many conversations that we choose not to make them meaningful. And that's totally fine. But there's other conversations where if I ask my wife, who's picking up the kids and she says, I am, then I like if I'm listening for it, I know that like oh actually this should be a meaningful conversation because she's kind of pissed off that she's picking up the kids I was, and I'm not. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, inferences we don't ask and get exactly. Into- and at that point, there's something inside my head, and if we know to listen to it, all of us can recognize it to say like okay, just take a step back and ask a question. Right, asking a question is usually always the right thing to do next, and say is it okay for you to pick up the kids? Like, do you mind doing that, or do you have something going on, or and you feel like I should. And like at that point, at that point, we've shifted gears, but we've shifted gears together. And that's why we can connect with each other. Okay. I'm going to add, well, I'm going to back into a practical question. Okay. Because, because you've got, what is it? These are the three categories in your book. I said a minute ago, but I want everybody to hear them. What, that number one, what is this really about? How do we, is number, is number one, <clears throat> which is decision-making. Number two, how do we feel mm-hmm. emotional? And number three, who are we? Social mindset. Yeah. Okay. Um, reconcile those with the uh, help, hug, and hear. Sure. Sure. Okay. okay. So, so what's this really about? Yeah. Is about is a practical conversation, a decision making conversation. That's help. Do you want me to help you? Okay, right. Should it. I help you solve the problem? The 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 emotional conversation. And actually I said it a little bit wrong before. How do we feel is the emotional conversation. Yeah. And that's the hug. Like I, do you want me to give you a hug? Like, do you want me to show you that I hear, like I'm here for you. I support you. And then the third one is who are we is a social conversation. And that's the here that oftentimes when I'm in a place where I need to talk about how I'm relating to someone else, I just need you to hear what I'm saying. Because sometimes I'm talking about how I relate to you, right? Like if I come to you, I'm not emotional about it, but I'm saying, Kevin, you're not listening to what I'm saying. And I need you to hear what I'm saying. What I, or 
Kevin, I have this problem like with the kids. I keep yeah. on telling Jim to clean his room and he won't do it. And I think it's because he doesn't see me as like an authority figure. In those conversations, I don't need you to solve my problem. Yeah. I need you to hear what I'm saying and acknowledge that like maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But I, I'm just looking for you to validate that how how this relationship is working and help me think it through. That how how this relationship is working and help me think it through. Okay, so, so here, so that helps. So because here's the, what I'm backing into with the question: If I am going to, because we could say, okay, you know, this is this is starter, this is uh, 101, beginner 101. Just ask questions, which to some degree you could say is safe. I mean, if you're in a social situation and you wanna, you know, you wanna connect with people, whatever, just ask questions. Now. Step two, or I'm asking, help me out here, is if I can be aware, though, of what somebody's saying, like when you come in the door and you're going to share about work and I can kind of see your, I can sense your mood and I can whatever, and I can go, oh, I don't think he's asking, I don't think he's looking for help. Um, I don't know if he's asking for a hug. It's, you know, I've, I've known Charles for a while. He probably just wants to be heard. That's going to help me know which type of question to ask best. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, sometimes that you can just ask the question to figure it out, right? Like this, my wife does this all the time with me. She's like, do, do you want me to solve this problem or do you just want to vent? And like, then she knows what kind of conversation I'm looking for. Now, now the next step after asking a conversation like that to figure out what kind of conversation we're having is to ask another kind of question, which is known as a deep question. And a deep question, and this gets to this meaningful conversation issue. Yeah. A deep question is a question that asks me to talk about my values, my beliefs, or my experiences. And a deep question doesn't have to appear so deep, right? Like, like if I asked you, like, uh, I'll ask you one right now. Like, what did you love most about mountain biking? Hmm. Definitely somewhat of the adrenaline, but it was mixed with my ability to be able to, to have my mastery of it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so that question, what did you love most about mountain biking? That didn't seem like super intimate or personal, right? Mm -mm. But that was a deep question because what you resp responded with is you told me about what you care about. That A, you're like someone who's into adrenaline, but B, mastery is not only important to you, it's really meaningful. Like you get a lot of pleasure from yeah, you could, go, you could go therapy on me right there. Totally, totally. Why is that important? You can, yeah. yeah. And like, and like I asked you a pretty simple question. Now, what I could have asked you is I could have asked you like, where do you mountain bike? How often do you mountain bike? Those are fact-based questions. Those aren't yeah. deep questions. No feeling. But by asking you, what do you love about mountain biking? Which is a totally normal question to ask. Now you're started talking about something that's sort you, of deep and meaningful. You for I'm not forced. I, I don't want to say I, I'm trying to think what's a what's a positive. Invited. Word. I invited. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I was gonna say forced, coerced. Okay, invited. Much better. Uh you invited me to I mean it would have been great to folks, you should watch the video. Go to YouTube, watch the video. Because when you said <laughs> that, I'm sure I, I'm trying to recall. I, I bet I looked off to the left, uh, which I tend to do. And I had to think about it because you got into a feeling, which is not my most, you know, relevant language. Uh, and I gave that to you. But what it did is connect me with you. You totally. just got that out of me. I just, I just shared that with you. And of course, you respond with, 
oh, wow, tell me more. And Or even better, I could respond with, oh, man, I totally understand. Like The way that I show mastery is through writing. I get into the flow state through writing. Doesn't it feel amazing? And now- I feel understood and connect, yeah. And now we've shared something with each other, right? We've, we've, you know, that like writing is really important to me. I know that biking is really important to you. And the reason it's important is because we're good at it and we like to be good at it. And that's important to us. That's like a real conversation. I got an, I this, I hadn't planned this question, but does this have a relation to, we know that people tend to people, you know, you certain people have a tendency to talk about, that age old thing, talk about ideas or, you know, thoughts or whatnot. Some people like to talk about other people. Some people talk about events. We kind of ca- have categorized that through time. Does that fall into place here? A little bit. I mean, I, again, this, I think it, I think the truth is that everyone talks about these three kinds of things, like the practical conversation, the, the emotional and the social conversations. We tend to remember the ones that we are most comfortable in. And so like if I'm an idea guy and I love talking about ideas, I probably do talk about ideas more than than other people. But just because I'm talking about an idea doesn't mean I'm in a decision-making mindset. I could be talking about an idea and it's important to me because it's emotional, mm-hmm. right? Like like take justice, right? When people talk about justice, that's usually a pretty emotional conversation because what yeah. they're really talking about is they're talking about how, how, what they think fairness is and whether they've ever been wronged themselves and what it, that felt like. And so, yes, to answer your question, there are people who definitely, they, they fall back on certain topics. Like I don't follow sports, so I don't talk about sports. Right. And lots of other people do talk about sports, but if you were to look at those sports conversations, what we would see is some of those sports conversations are practical. Like, should he make this trade? Should he have done that play? Who's the best coach? Some of the sports conversations are emotional. Like, like I can't believe that they screwed up that, that conversion. Like it just like, it pains me to watch these guys play. And sometimes it's social. Like I love going to the game because it's a chance for me to like talk to my kids. And like, we have different kinds of conversations at a game than we do when we're not, when we're not at the game. Yeah. The topics, the topics are what we're interested in. The kind of conversation is what's going on inside our head. It just occurred to me, Charles, uh, this is a, your research here, your message here is a far more highly applicable, uh, message, but has some overlapping with, uh, Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication. Yeah. Um, I had not thought about, I came upon that book about a year ago. It was really significant. Now it's, you know, more in an acute therapeutic aspect and looking at, but ultimately you're hearing and you reminded me a minute ago with something you said that you're, you're getting to the root of what somebody's saying. I think I'm enamored a little bit with the decision-making type propensity or structure that I come through, but I'm still stuffing emotional issues through it. And that's totally normal. That's totally normal. I know, but I want to be better. It's not efficient is what it feels like. Right. It's true. It's true. And my guess is, my guess is that if, my guess is that when you and your wife are talking to some, about something and she says to you, look, you seem upset. Like, is this really about where we should spend Thanksgiving or is this about your frustrations? Yeah. You probably immediately hit the reset button and you're like, actually it's about frustrations. Right. Like, like, yeah. Like, like you might come into a, particularly when we're hot, like when we come into a conversation, we're all worked up. 
we fall back on what feels most comfortable. And for me and you, that's usually like decision-making mindset. I'm going to stuff everything into that. But all, mm-hmm. but we are self-aware enough that all it takes is someone to ask us a question to be like, actually, you're right. <laughs> this is this is about yeah. something more than where we should spend Thanksgiving. Are you, can you talk? Yes, yes. And, and you talked about these aspects again, if we, if we, I'm going to keep repeating these, you know, decision, uh, mindset, emotional and social. And you're talking about the value here to be a super communicator of matching and alignment, being aware of what's going on, the flow of the, uh, flow of the conversation, the tone of the conversation. And that you are, again, I appreciate in the book, you're, it's, it's not that you're, you're you're absolutely not dictating. You are orchestrating no. it somewhat the and, and helping pull you know everybody out. I want you to I'm gonna use the word reconcile a little bit because I have had some discussions around this, Charles, where it's been debated. Uh, people struggle with the authenticity of it. Yeah. Of, tell me. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be authentic, right? So so the way I think about it, you're exactly right that there is like. One way of describing this is this very Machiavellian manipulative thing, right? Like yeah, that's where like, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention how you're talking and then I'm going to talk back the same way. And I'm going to like trick you into being saying stuff you don't want to say, but the, or I'm just doing it so everybody will love me man. or so everyone I, will love me. Yeah. And the thing is that could, that can sometimes work for like, you know, 20 minutes for one conversation, but we all know people who have tried that and we learn to recognize pretty quickly that it's not authentic, right? That they're, can, can I, can I butt yeah. in real quick? I, I've yeah. done it. I, I've, so I am I'm, I'm saying I've done it, but what I realized too is I didn't connect. Yeah. I didn't connect. And what it has done over time. And now that I'm 52 is I can find myself avoiding social situations because I almost can't not do that. And that you're helping me. I want to go back into some now and go, okay, Kevin, you connect, you share a little bit too. Don't just orchestrate and make everybody feel good. And exactly what you just said is key. You share. Yeah. So very often when we're in that mindset where we're just like kind of pantomiming it, we're trying to like play yeah. along. Yeah. The thing that can cause us to break through to like stop that in our side ourselves is to say something real. Like the way that you create an authentic connection is you be authentic. And sometimes being authentic is just a matter of like saying something about yourself. That's true. Right. I mentioned that my dad passed away. Right. So like I mentioned that my dad passed away a lot. And the reason why is because it's a real thing. Like I can't talk about my dad passing away without feeling somewhat present in a conversation. It doesn't make me sad. It doesn't make me like depressed. It doesn't bring other people down. It's something that we've either all gone through or we're going to go through. But, but if I ever feel myself getting kind of phony or getting removed, if I bring up something real like that, all of a sudden I can't help but be back in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And the other person knows if you're faking it, right? There's actually this really interesting study where they would, like, again, back to this laughter thing that, that the NASA scientists would use. Um, there was a study where they, they recorded um, friends laughing together and strangers trying to laugh alike. And they mm-hmm. cut the recordings down so you only heard one second of laughter. And then they would ask str- other people to tell which ones were friends and which ones were strangers. And they got it right 90% of the time. Our brains are actually programmed to notice inauthenticity. When you're being, when you're not really in a conversation, 
that other person, if they're trying to be in that conversation, they're not, they're probably not rude enough to be like, okay, you're kind of faking it, but they can feel that you're kind of faking it. You can do the same thing, right? You know, when someone's not really like jiving with you, if they're not really on the same wavelength, our brains literally are hardwired to notice that. And the way that we, the way that we make it real is we share something about ourselves. Okay. I'm thinking about that, saying something real and I'm putting my, cause this happens a lot. So I've got this and everybody, they hear me talk about this. I've got a couple of different guys groups. I call them my adventure groups and guys who have similar, similar values and interests, but this group is, is they all share uh, adventure. So we can all go, you know, ski or surf or mountain bike or whatever we have that in common. Most, a lot of them are business owners and whatnot, and, and we'll get together. And sometimes it'll turn that way and, you know, they'll get talking about real estate. There's a couple of, you know, real estate funds or whatever. And they'll start talking. So for me to, to be authentic and say something real, I can't in that topic. Uh, other than this is true story. This is what, you know, if it comes around, I'll go, guys, I, I got literally got nothing to offer. offer. You right. want to talk about personal <laughs> development? I'm your guy. You're real estate. You know, I'm going to go get a drink. You know, you want something? And that's real. You know, that's my that's totally real. being real. I, I, where in the past, I probably would have tried to play along and feel pressured to. Totally. And, and the truth of the matter is, like, you don't have to be in that conversation, right? Yeah. You can just be someone who, like, hangs out and listens. Yeah. Like, that's totally fine. I mean, and my, and, and the truth is, when you have a group together, there's always going to be one or two people who are at the periphery and are like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. It's not that interesting to me. I'm just going to kind of listen and like think my own thoughts. And then when you guys start talking about something that's more interesting to me, I'm going to get in the conversation. Yeah. And that's fine. We don't have to have conversations with everyone. We don't have to, we don't have to have conversations that we don't want to have. I think part of it is giving ourselves permission to not have the conversation. Because you're right. You probably were faking it because you felt bad. You felt like, you felt like if you were being left out, you weren't like, you weren't part of the group or you weren't living up to your expectate, their expectations as a member of the group or the host. You felt this pressure to, to participate in a conversation you didn't actually want to be in. But the truth of the matter is the most honest thing you can do is have the conversations you want to have. And when you don't want to have it, say like, that's okay. And it is okay. Right. They're talking about real estate. You don't care about real estate. They don't, they don't want you like butting your way. In. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it reminds me, Charles. So we just had Thomas Hubel on the show. Oh yeah. Um, and a big part of his new book, doggone, what is it called? I forgot. I don't think it's come out yet, but um, attunement, attunement, mm-hmm. uh, attuning or attunement. But he talks about being uh, becoming and, and belonging, you know, down here. And, and I'm thinking, you know, with what you're talking about, we so want to belong. We yeah. so want to belong, but to even be authentic in there. Cause it's interesting, true story. When I, I was with these guys, uh, at whatever point, I'm sure it's been long ago now, but they were talking about this real estate thing and I'm sitting there going, gosh, you know, I probably should do real estate. I probably invest. I'm not doing it. They're all talking about it. And, and I, and I started to feel bad about myself a little bit, or at least feel a little bit of pressure. And then I finally came up and go, okay, dude, be back to authenticity. It's just not my gig. I, yeah. and I and literally, this is what came, came. You'll probably, you'll appreciate this, Charles. I thought now I, I invest in real estate of the mind. That's what yes. I, that's, yes. that's what I understand. And that's, that's authentic. That came out of that, but it took the awareness of back to emotional intelligence of what am I feeling here in this time? Cause I want to belong, but I don't res, I do belong with these guys, but I don't resonate with that thing. So what's yeah. real and authentic to me, say something real. I don't know what you guys are talking about. You want to talk about real estate of the mind? I'm your guy. 
and and my and my guess is that like so like there's you're you're hearing your friends talk about like REITs and like you know cap rates and X and Y and Z. They're gonna talk about that for like 10 or 15 minutes, and then someone's gonna say something that you do relate to something sure. like the reason, like the reason why I invested in that deal is because I really want to put something away for my kids and it's not going to work out during my lifetime, but it's going to work out during their lifetime. Now they're talking, talking about, about legacy and inheritance and so, legacy yeah. inheritance yeah. about what we owe our children. Yeah. Do we give them too much? Do we want to force them to go out on their own? No conversation lasts so long yeah. that we are permanently excluded from it. It's yeah. okay to say like, look, this part, when you're talking about cap rates, not my game, but when you start talking about why you're investing, I'm right there with you. Even though I'm not investing in real estate myself, I know what you're talking about. Okay. I want to give the test. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going on that story because this is a true testimony from one of the guys later on. I don't know if it was the same day or, you know, days following. And he said, he said, uh, uh, it wasn't just in relation to that, but maybe I had done that a couple of times, just kind of been like real. And yeah, he said, dude, man, I really love and I respect that about you so much. You're just kind of okay being you. And I'm thinking, one, I'm so great he gave that testimony. And two, he has no idea I was trying. And I was, <laughs> pressure, I was feeling pressured over here, like I'm the only numb nut in the group. And it was, you know, I just want people to hear to hear that. Okay, I, how I did that, that, can I ask you how did that make you feel when he said that? Great. Yeah. Great. It made me feel like I want to do that more. Just be real. Don't fake it. Don't perform. Yeah. Which again, that okay. On that note, uh, Charles, because I want to hit this. And first I want to brag about you. Um, <laughs> as you talk about being in the flow writing, I love your writing. I oh, love your writing you. style. You're a, a great writer. I read your book and I thought, man, I should have done that more in my book. And you do such a good job of giving relatable stories. Okay. So there's my first, just guys, go get his, very kind read all of his books, read the books. They're incredible. The stories stick with you. Um, literally I, I, I need my next book. I need to do even more. It took my editors a lot of pushing to get me to do some, but you do it so well. So he, he, you do that so well and the messages stick. Okay. On that note, you talk about a CIA recruiter. Yeah. That's a key story. I think right at the beginning of the book, right? Jim Lawler. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And, and what I want everybody to hear, I want me to hear it too. He tried to sell this woman into being a spy. Right. And he failed miserably. And he failed miserably. <laughs> he tried to sell, tried to sell, tried to sell. I mean, he had good intent. He wasn't trying totally. to harm her. He was trying to help his country. He was trying to help her. He really, but he was trying to sell her, he, which I know that I do. I do it with my kids, Charles. Yeah. I'm sure you try to sell them on this, or I do it to other people and try to, and I care. I want to help them. I try to totally. sell them. On, and if you would, you know, health and wellness, if you would live this way, whatever would help you. And then, and this is the story does such a great job when he finally quit and just connected with her. Well, here, here I'm going to ask you, because what I, this is literally my notes. I wrote, okay, when he connected with her, he didn't then succeed in selling her. She sold herself. That's exactly right. Fair? That's okay. exactly right. So, so yeah. So, so for anyone who hasn't read the book, this is a story about this guy, Jim Lawler. And, um, in the early eighties, he becomes a, he gets, re, he, he 
is able to join the CIA and they, his first posting is over to Europe and they tell him, okay, your job is to like recruit some overseas agents. And he tries for months and is just terrible at it. Like, like he almost gets deported. He starts trying to recruit this one woman who worked in the Russian, um, the Soviet office until someone pulled him aside and was like, by the way, she's KGB and she's trying to recruit you stop talking to her. Mm -hmm. So eventually this woman, Yasmin comes into town and one of his bosses says, go talk to, go talk to this woman. She works for her, the foreign ministry and some middle Eastern government. Lawler bumps into her at a restaurant. He introduces himself as an oil speculator. He invites her to lunch the next day. They start going to lunch and sightseeing together. And, and eventually he says to her, I'm not actually an oil speculator. I am, I am an intelligence officer. And, and I'm wondering, cause my government wants the same thing you, you want. She had said she didn't like her government. She was the religious radicals had come to power. They were making women wear hijabs. They were making it illegal for women to go to college. She really opposed them. And he said, my government wants the same thing you do, which is to, to undermine the theocracy. Will you work for the CIA in your country? And she freaks out. She starts crying, starts shaking her set head saying, no, no, no. She flees. Lawler goes back and he tells his boss because he has to describe everything to his boss. And his boss is like, what are you talking about? I already told DC that you recruited this woman. Like, like you're going to get fired if you can't actually close the deal. So Lawler's freaking out. He thinks that there's no way he's going to be able to do this. He fills literally an entire notebook with ideas. And you're exactly right. He'd been trying to sell her. He had told her like, if you work for us, we'll give you a visa to come to the United States. If you work for us, you'll help create change in your home country. If you work for us, we can give you money. He was trying to explain to her all the benefits she could get. I was going to say, he's doing, he's over here, Mr. Practical, which that's yeah. what I would be thinking. And she's exactly. over here, total emotional. And he's not matching a line. Not matching up. at all. The same way that when you're, when you and I are talking to our kids and we're like, look, if you exercise more, you'll be happier and healthier and you'll be strong when you grow up. And our kids are like, whatever, dad, like, <laughs> like, like we're trying to sell them. And they're like, I don't, I don't care about the benefits you're offering me. Yeah. So they go to one final dinner. Lawler convinces Yasmin to come to dinner one last time. This is his last chance. And the whole dinner, she's like down because she's about to return to her home country. And she's really disappointed in herself. She thought things were going to be different. Like she'd figure something out. And he keeps trying to cheer her up. He keeps telling her funny stories, keeps telling her about like reminiscing about when they went sightseeing together. And she's just, she's just not, she's not second she's just not playing along like she this isn't what she wants and so as they're having dessert he remembers this experience he once had back in west texas he'd worked for his dad and his dad had a had a, a they they sold um steel parts and he went to go talk to this one woman he was a terrible salesman he went to go talk to this one woman and she was on the phone when he walked in and her kid was next to her desk and he like plays with a kid while she's on the phone then she gets off the phone. He's like 23 at this point. He makes his sales, his sales spiel. She's like, look, I'm not interested. But then she basically starts talking about herself. She starts talking about how, like how hard it is to be a businesswoman and a mom that it feels like she's like always failing at one or the other to thank him for like playing with her kid while she was on the phone. And Lawler has no idea what to say, right? Like he's like 23 years old. He doesn't have kids. He's not married, but he has to say something. It's super weird to let someone just talk and not reply. And so he's like, look, I've already lost the sale. So he just starts talking about himself. He starts talking about 
that it's really hard working for his dad because he keeps on disappointing his dad. His brother is a better salesman than he is, and it makes him feel really bad about himself. And they talk about like their lives for 15 minutes. And then the woman's like, okay, thanks so much. No sale. Lawler leaves. Two weeks later, she calls up and she puts in the biggest order in the company's history. And Lawler, who's like so clueless, says to her, I can't give you the pricing that you want. Like, I can't give you a discount for that large an order. And she says, that's okay. I feel like we had this connection. I want to do my business with you. So Lawler's thinking about this. He's thinking about this experience as he's sitting there in the restaurant talking to Yasmin as they're having dessert. And he's like, you know what I've been trying to do? I've been trying to sell Yasmin. And what I should do is just be honest. So that's what he does. He starts telling her like, you know what? I actually, I'm really worried I'm going to get fired. Like I'm really bad at recruiting. I'm bad at recruiting spies like you. And I see my coworkers and some of them have this confidence and this like suaveness and I don't have it. And he's just telling her about this and he's just being honest with her. And she starts crying and he's like, Oh God, I've screwed this up. And so he, he like says like, please stop crying. I did not mean to make you cry. I'm not trying to pressure you into, into working for the CIA. And she looks up at him and she whispers and she says, I can do this. This is important. And Lawler, Lawler again is so freaked out. He's like, he's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to work for me. Like, like you can just go home. It's totally fine. And she goes, no, 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 no. You're right. Like we both want the same thing. This is how I can make a difference. The next day she goes to a safe house. She gets trained in, in communications, covert communications. She was the best asset in the Middle East for the next 20 years. And when I asked Lawler, like why he was able to do this, what he said is that's when he learned, like, you don't try and sell someone. You try and be honest with them and have the same kind of conversation they're having. She had spent that entire dinner being upset and glum. And all he tried to do was cheer her up. But what he should have done is he should have been like, look, I understand what it's like to be upset and glum. Like I understand where you're coming from. And as soon as he did that, they could actually hear each other. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant story. So Charles, you don't know this. Most of my listeners do. This show originated out of me hosting the Ziggler show. Zig Ziglar, one of our most famous sales trainers yeah. ever. And Zig was famous for saying that true sales, caring sales is a transference of feelings. Yes. And I, so I love this story when you say when he quit trying to sell or in the first uh, analogy where he's trying to sell the lady, the steel parts or whatever, that uh, he actually just, I, I failed. She doesn't want him. She flat out said she doesn't. So he had walkaway power. He didn't care at that point, And he yeah. just related and yeah. sold her. And same thing over here that again, it's not a tactic. This is not a tactic to, to connect so you can get something. It's almost a way to connect with no, it, it makes me think of back to the goal. What is my goal in here? And if my goal is to sell something, I'm probably a red flag yes. on this one. Don't connect with the, connect with the kid on, you know, why you want them to clean your room. Has anybody ever done that to, to connect with them? I'm thinking about myself, Charles. I got one. And if you connect, you actually know what they want, right? It's not a, you're not trying to sell. If you understand their needs and desires and you can help solve them, you're not selling them on something. You're solving a problem for them. But I can't, I can't know how to solve your problem until I can actually understand who you are. Uh, Understanding. I want to pull that out because again, we've had, I'm sure people have, 
I'm sure I would assume that this audience, this is a, a personal development audience, and they've heard the idea of asking questions, but we've also all probably, probably they may have just like I have, you've heard, you've been in a group and somebody heard that message and they're just like the question machine. Right. They don't care a crap and they're not trying to understand. They're just asking questions. It sort of feels like you're being interrogated, right? Totally, like, totally. Yeah. Or being sold. I'm being manipulated. Or back to yes. the use of the word manipulated, which I think is at the core of everybody's question about, gosh, I don't want to be manipulative. But if I go in and say, man, this sounds terrible, but playing mind games, if you're paid, we'll pay you a million dollars to understand the person. Just figure it. I want you to understand. I want you to walk away and understand what they care about or what they really did. You can do that and authentically. You're trying to. Now, it may not be because you care about their heart at the bottom pit of your soul, but if you just make the effort to, you're both going to win. Fair? Yeah, absolutely. As I, so take this conversation that we're having, right? Yeah. Like, like, like you want to make a podcast. I want to share my ideas with the world. There's a, there's a really cynical way of looking at this, that you're just looking for someone to like fill up time. And I'm just looking for someone to talk about my book, but both of us know that's not what's going on here. Right. Even though like you do, you do want good guests and I do want to tell people about my book. What's actually going on here is that we've pushed beyond that to have a real conversation to try and understand each other. Like, I think it's, it's fascinating. I know that you you've adopted a couple of kids, which I think like is like fascinating and and shows something about who you are. And if 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 we had time, I would ask all these questions about it. Like just because we have other goals doesn't mean we can't connect with each other. And in fact, those other goals are probably going to be easier to achieve if we do genuinely connect with each other. And the only right. way we genuinely connect is to genuinely connect. You can't fake it good enough. That guy who's asking all those questions and is interrogating everyone else, everyone sees what's going on. Everyone's like, oh, please do not invite him to the next party. Like, mm -hmm. like it's just not – he's he's like – he's asking questions because he wants to talk about himself or he's asking questions because he wants to figure out how to sell me life insurance. Like we know – we recognize that. But the guy who shows up and he's like, hey, you seem interesting. Like tell me your story. We We probably love to talk to that guy or gal. That right there, that's probably the mic drop for the show right there. <laughs> well, seriously, to genuinely connect. And it's, I mean, again, I'm going to give kudos back to you that part of the benefit of this conversation was that I had already connected with you Absolutely. through yeah. your communication and connection through your writing, which is the point of a good writer. And you were willing to share that. Like you started the conversation by sharing something. Again, we think about vulnerability as being like a weakness, but you actually shared something vulnerable about yourself. You said, I was on this beach and I loved this book. It's really meant a lot to me. That's, that's exposure of a vulnerability. It's not a vulnerability where like, I mean, you wouldn't care how anyone judges you. You wouldn't, you wouldn't care if anyone tried to attack you on that, but by sharing something about yourself, you set the table for a real conversation. Hmm. Hmm. I should probably do that more. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, again, I think you probably do it all the time. Well, <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, I, th I think so. And yet, you outlining this because you do. I feel like you do a lot of the, a lot of work in the book of of helping us understand things that we have experienced and seen, but it hasn't been consistent. It hasn't been maybe as intentional enough. So you know, even to go in with the authenticity of, hey, I'm talking with a person or in a group of people. And, you know, I, I do, I do want to connect. I do want to yeah. understand and care. And if I don't, to be honest about that and go, okay, you know what, I could probably be, spend better time with my kids. So I'm going to totally 
exit. Totally. But I'll go get a drink from the bar and find someone else to talk yeah, to. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, fair. Man, uh, thank you. Again, folks, I, you know, I say this somewhat frequently, but I'll, I'm going to expound on that. It, it is a book that I want you to get because you need to study it. I'm, I, I want to study it more and figure out how to more consistently and intentionally put it into my communication uh, endeavors and, and probably even more so when they're acute. You know, we've talked about the business dealings or the marriage or the kids and the times when the emotions can derail us and we go in with intent that I want to be a little more, a lot more um, aware of that. And again, back to aware of myself. What is my goal, as you said, yeah. before I go in and open my mouth? And um, thank you. And thank you for having me. And And I would love to hear from listeners like, the truth of the matter is that as a journalist, I, I want to know how they communicate. Like, like which of these ideas seem important to them and which of them seem seem less important? Like, what have they figured out about making that connection? Because yeah. at the end of the day, like, we are all participants in this laboratory of how to live together. And wow. every single one of us is conducting these experiments that the rest of us can learn from. So I, my, my website's charlesduhig.com or I was can, just, yeah, you yeah. can, you can email me at charles at duhig.com or net. You basically, if you Google my name, you'll figure out how to get in touch with me. And I'd love to, and I read every single email. I respond to every single email. I'd love to hear from anyone. Well, thank you. Yeah, I was going to give that. Well, a couple things, folks. I mean, one, obviously, if you enjoy the show, like I always say, give us a rating review. On Amazon, you can go there. And what I love is when people actually reference a specific episode, not to go, hey, I love the show. Um, but man, when he had Charles and they talked about communication and man, it hit me here. Let us know. It's a, it's such a gift to us. So let us know. You can do that on Apple, uh, Apple podcast, but yeah, his website and it's Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G, Charles Duhigg, though, if I yeah. think, you know, you're, thank goodness he's well known enough. You can go misspell it. It'll still come up. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm holding this up for the people in the video. The power of habit is my go-to Bible on habit. It has been for, I think, almost a decade now. Um, so you can check this video out uh, at YouTube. Go find me, and, and we'll have a bunch of clips on social media, kevinmiller.co. Uh, and if you want to uh, learn more about your own inner drive, and this is a big piece of it, how you communicate well, you get my book, What Drives You on Amazon. Until next time, folks, stay driven. Yeah.